The United States is a nation of immigrants. There is no denying it. Except there are many who conveniently forget that fact, and they sometimes forget that not everybody that came to the United States was from Europe, and not every European that came to the United States were from England. And they're not all the same. A couple of weeks ago, there's something that just really got under my skin. There was this U.S. congressman from an eastern state with a distinctly Irish surname who obviously knew nothing about his history of his of Ireland because this guy proudly announced that his people were people of color and that color was white. And they were white Anglo-Saxons from Ireland. I'll explain in a moment why that is one of the most completely stupid statements ever made. But first, what was it Mark Twain said about congressmen? Suppose you were an idiot and suppose you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. So first, the Anglo-Saxons were originally a bunch of pagans who came from northwestern Germania and invaded Britannia after the fall of the Roman Empire in the 5th century, and more or less took over the indigenous Roman Latin-influenced Celtic culture of that island. Then the Vikings raided the British Isles in the 8th and 9th centuries, and they took over a good chunk of the land. And then the Normans, who were also Vikings who had settled in the north of France, they invaded England in the 11th century when William the Conqueror defeated King Harold at the Battle of Hastings in 1066. That ended Anglo-Saxon rule in England. The Normans then took over the entire country and made it their own. Norman French became the language of the court. Middle English became the language of the common people. In southeastern England, anyway. In the west of England, they spoke a Gaelic language called Cornish. In Wales, they spoke Welsh. In the highlands of Scotland, they spoke Scots Gaelic. In the lowlands of Scotland, they spoke a hodgepodge language of Old Norse English and Gaelic called Lollanders. And in Ireland, everybody spoke the same Irish version of Gaelic in distinct regional dialects, or so we think. English didn't become the official language of the English Parliament until 1362, 300 years after the Norman Conquest, and the first king to speak English as his first language and make it the language of the English court was Henry IV of the House Lancaster, who came to the throne in 1399. Now, eventually the Norman kings conquered all of the British Isles, then they lost Scotland, and that whole Braveheart story, at least the movie version, is a bunch of... They lost parts of Ireland now and then, but they always got them back at usually at the expense of quite a few thousand, if not millions, of Irish lives. And they also, over the course of four and a half centuries, lost all of their lands in France. Poor Wales never got out from under the thumb of the Norman kings. They tried a couple of times in the 12th century and then said, eh, forget about it. Ain't worth it. So uh, they just went along with the show. The last English monarch to really have any direct lineage to the Norman conquerors was Elizabeth I. Although, yes, her cousin James VI of Scotland, Mary Queen of Scots kid, that is, on Elizabeth's death, because she had no children, he became James I of England, bringing the kingdoms of England and Scotland back together. Yes, he had Norman ancestry, but his house, the House of Stuart, was an old Scottish Gaelic house. So, I tend to say that the Norman line ends with Elizabeth I. Anyway, my point. This representative, this congressman from this state back east who has this distinctly Irish surname, your people from Ireland were not Anglo-Saxons. When the Normans from England invaded Ireland in the late 1100s, they were no longer Anglo-Saxons. They were Normans. 
Historians have called them Anglo-Normans to distinguish them from French Normans at the same time, but really the first wave of Normans into Ireland came from Wales, which they had just conquered after conquering England and before moving into Ireland at the invitation of a deposed Irish king. And that's another long story. Yet, very interesting story. I don't have time to get into it right now. But this whole idea of a superior Anglo-Saxon race of people with values and traits that moved into Britain and then came to the United States is a bunch of romanticized bullpucky from the 19th century. And it falls right in there with eugenics and this you know idyllic Aryan race crap. None of it's supported by genetics or documented history or archaeology. None of it. And you know what happens when each wave of conquerors and immigrants moved into an already populated part of Western Europe? They interbred, sometimes peacefully, sometimes not. But they became a different people. England, Britain, the Isles, is, it's a melting pot, a land of immigrants. Just, it was just a melting pot before America was a melting pot. All of Europe was a melting pot. But because of historic myopia, we look at it like we were all this monolithic people that came from Europe and settled in America. It's part of our mythology. You know, all Europeans, you know, they're kind of the same. There are only some slight differences. Scots wear kilts. Germans wear lederhosen. Irish like to drink. English have bad food and bad teeth. Swedes all have blonde hair and blue eyes and great bikini teams. You know, all of the stereotypes. It's also the theme of Ancestry.com and 23andMe, and that's how they use it to market their services and to help you uh, spend your money so you can get in touch with your past. Oddly, Americans are more obsessed with than any other country, perhaps because our identity, we came to America and we all became Americans together. But some of our history, we just kind of conveniently forget. First, there were millions of Native Americans across the entire continent, 90% of whom were wiped out by disease after the Columbian Exchange, and then the remaining were nearly wiped out by wars of conquest. Then the English from the south of England settled in Virginia. They brought in African slaves. Then the pilgrims from East Anglia settled in New England. The Dutch settled in New York. The Quakers, Methodists, Baptists, and Presbyterians from the Midlands of England and the Lowlands of Scotland settled in the middle colonies of Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, and along with the Germans, Swedes, Scots, Highlanders, and French Huguenots. Catholics from Ireland and England settled in Maryland. Then the Scots-Irish from Ulster settled the Appalachian frontier, providing a buffer between the settled eastern seaboard and the foreboding Indian wilderness. The colonies fought two wars, one to drive the French from the continent and the second to gain their independence from Britain. We won. We were all Americans. But more of us kept coming. In the 1840s, two groups came across the Atlantic and both were met with derision when they first arrived on these shores. There was a potato famine in Ireland which killed a million and drove millions more from the land, most of them coming to America. In Central Europe, there was political turmoil in the German states, culminating in a revolution in 1848, and with lands opening up in the American Midwest and opportunity abounding, many of these enterprising German immigrants left the life they knew and came looking for a better world, not just for themselves, but for their children, their grandchildren, and their grandchildren's children. Seldom is it spoken of in these times of the vitriol, the prejudice, and the violence that these immigrants from Germany and Ireland faced when they came to America in the 1840s. No Irish need apply. Deutschmen stay out of this town. 
But they did come. And what would our country be like today without the contribution of those immigrants? One of those men was from the German state of Prussia, and he came to Wisconsin in 1845, bringing his family. And that man and his family were very important to one town in particular. They established an industry that has provided jobs and refreshment for the citizens of Chippewa Falls for the past 152 years. And that man's name was Matthias Jacob Leinenkugel. This is episode 46. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Hello everybody, thank you for finding us out here in the podcasting universe. Welcome to the Brews Traveler. I am Alan Tatman, I'll be your host here for the next hour or so. Uh, back home in the scenic capital, on the bluff above the finally no longer at flood stage Missouri River. And since I spoke to you last, uh, we've put some miles on Brewlissies. About uh, We broke the 20,000 mile milestone uh, here just a couple of weeks ago. Left here, headed north, went up along the north shore of Lake Superior. Got a couple of interviews up there. Stopped in at Duluth, said hello to our friends at Bent Paddle Brewing. Uh, then headed up across the border into Ontario. I did a bit of walleye fishing and then my neck went out again. And, uh, oh man, uh, I, it was the most, uh, miserable fishing trip I've ever had. And not because the fish weren't biting. It was just that every time I moved, it just hurt. Uh, if you've ever had a pulled muscle in your neck or a pinched nerve or anything like that, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It is absolutely miserable. It just goes from the top of your head right down through your neck, into your shoulder, down into your arm. It just is miserable. God, it hurt. And so anyway, I drove home, uh, got back, got a chiropractic treatment, turned around after two days here, went up to Waterloo, Iowa, and we went to the Iowa Irish Fest, uh, hung out with the guys in Gaelic Storm, uh, Saw them a couple of concerts. Now I'm home for the first time for more than two days since the 21st of July. I know it. I didn't even uh, realize how much I'd been gone until somebody said, well, you're gone all the time. I said, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. And yeah, I've been gone a while. So it's good to be home. And now uh, I'm going to get two shows to you this week. Uh, I've got enough time, although I am working on this concert I'm producing. I'm working a lot on that. There's a lot of last minute details. Anybody that's ever kind of worked on anything like this, there's always a lot of details. You got to make sure that the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted and everything's taken care of. And it all comes down to me. I got to make sure it's done. And so that's what I'm working on this week. But I've got another interview coming to you. This is Monday. This is being released. You'll get this one on Wednesday, a second interview for this week. Anyway, uh, that concert, Gaelic Storm. If you're going to go to that, you need to get your tickets because they're starting to go fast. Go to Patty Malone's Pub, get your tickets. Uh, they're going at a pretty good clip. 
That's Gaelic Storm, August 29th at the Mill Bottom Event Center here in Jefferson City, Missouri. You can go over. I've uh, there's a, there's an event posted at the Bruce Traveler Facebook page. There's a link there to get tickets. You can go over there, click, click, and you can get your tickets if you haven't gotten them yet already. And this is a nice time to come to Jefferson City because there's the legislators are all gone. There's plenty of hotel rooms to be had if you're coming in from out of town. So. Uh, back to my trip up north. On the way up, my first stop was in Chippewa Falls, not Chippewa, I was corrected. Not Chippewa Falls, it's Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, at the Leinen Kugels Brewing Company Visitor Center, also known as the Liney Lodge. And I was lucky enough, and I do mean very lucky, to sit down and talk with Mr. Dick Leinenkugel, a fifth-generation family member of that venerable old brewing family and their brewery on the banks of the Chippewa River in northern Wisconsin. So that's our interview for you this episode. Uh, but before I headed up uh, north, Tony and I talked about craft brewing in Hawaii. And listening to that interview while I was uh, editing it, I can tell that uh, the muscle relaxers that I was taking uh, were doing their thing on me. I was a little loopy during that uh, discussion with Tony. And to his credit, he didn't say, hey, is something wrong with you? But I think I heard it in his voice. Anyway, craft beer in Hawaii. I don't think we're ever going to be able to drive the RV across the Pacific, but, uh, you know, you know, never know. We'll figure it out. But first, Line and Kugel Brewing. You know, back in, when I was in grad school and my first trip up to the north shore of Lake Superior, uh, up in the Arrowhead District of Minnesota, before heading out to go canoeing in the Boundary Waters Canoe Wilderness, stopped in Grand Marais, Minnesota, and enjoyed... Lining Kugel's beer. It just wasn't something we could get in Missouri at that time. So, I mean, I really drank a lot of it when I was up there. I loved that beer. Always brought a case back home. And that was where I was first introduced to that brand. And when I started Patty Malone's back in 2000, I was so excited to find out that Fectal Beverage carried Lining Kugel's and we have been able to sell it at the pub for all these years. And I'm, I'm proud to say that we have uh, we've been selling their, their beer at Patty Malone since 2000, for 19 years. So I was very excited to sit down with uh, Mr. Richard Leinenkugel. Uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, we were getting ready to leave. I stopped by uh, the Liney Lodge. I dropped off my card. I was going to talk. I thought I was going to be talking to uh, their... Uh, the manager of their visitor center and then we were getting ready to leave and I heard a voice behind me said hey are you from Jefferson City and I said yes and what guy walked up to me said I'm Dick Leinenkugel uh, I'd hear you'd like to have an interview and it was just it was great uh, he, he's a really he's an excellent fella and now you're going to hear him here he is Dick Leinenkugel the president and chief marketer for Leinenkugel's Brewing of Chippewa Falls Wisconsin or Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. And here it is, your interview of the week. Hello, everybody. Coming to you from Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, the home of Leinen Kugel Brewing Company. Uh, I've been a big fan of these guys' beer for a long time. 
since 1986. I told you the story before now. Um, and I'm sitting here with one of the members of the founding family of Line and Kugel Brewing, Mr. Dick Line and Kugel, who chased me down yesterday and said, hey, welcome to Chippewa Falls. Dick, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day to sit down and talk to us on the Bruce Traveler. It is so terrific to have you here from Jefferson City. <laughs> so I know that you're not from around here because you pronounce it Chippewa Falls, mm. Wisconsin. And if you're from here, you okay. just say Chippewa. 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 The, that, yes. uh, that, that's, that middle uh, syllable Yeah, that gone. disappears, and it's Chippewa Falls. Chippewa Falls. Okay, yeah. I won't make that mistake And again. for those of you that listening across the country, we are 90 minutes due east of Minneapolis-St. Paul, about uh, two and a half hours north of Madison, Wisconsin. Right. You get off at Eau Claire, mm-hmm. which stands for, if you're French. Clear water. Clear water. Right. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and what is this creek? This feeds into the so that's, Chippewa River. So that is River. Duncan Creek. Duncan Creek it feeds Chippewa. into the Chippewa and 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 the Chippewa River. The Chippewa right. River, and then the brewery is right here above the creek. Is that where the water comes for the beer? Not from the creek. Okay, it comes from a pure artesian spring well, and that was discovered by Jacob. Well, Mathias. the townspeople that right. came here to Chippewa Falls right. discovered this pure artesian spring wells below the ground here. Right. It's the uh, groundwater that that still services the city today. Cool. Yeah, uh, so he called his brewery the Spring Brewery. Uh, Jacob Mathias, Line and Kugel. Correct. 25 years old, comes here, 25-year-old immigrant. I mean, by well, our standards, a young man. Now, when he immigrated, he was three years old. Oh, it, okay. It, really, the story starts with his dad, okay. Matthias Jacob, okay. who brought his family over, including his four boys, including Jacob, All right. in 1845. And they settled along the banks of the Wisconsin River, just north of Madison in Sauk City, Wisconsin. Jacob's father, Matthias, was a brewer and a brandy maker, as well as an innkeeper, in what was referred to as Prussia in Germany. Right. So they, they came from Meckenheim, just south of Köln. Okay. So your drinkers will know Köln because that's where the Kolsch style emanates exactly. from. Yeah. So Jacob uh, came over, he was only three years old, but uh, Matthias taught all of his sons the brewing art. And in fact, one of the sons remained with Matthias and took over that brewery in Sauk City. Another one went to Baraboo, another to Portage, and one up to uh, Eau Claire. And uh, Jacob came up to Eau Claire to work with his uh, brother. And um, he said, well, just north of Eau Claire, there's a town with 2,000 lumberjacks that are working in the largest sawmill under one roof, built by Weyerhaeuser, by the way. Um... They don't have a brewery. Now, you could only take beer as far as a horse could take it in a day, about 20 miles back in the 1800s. You didn't have refrigeration. So chances are if you had a German, Scandinavian, Irish, French community, these people liked beer. And uh, Jacob said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Chippewa Falls. There's a, you know, a couple of breweries already operating in Eau Claire, but I'll go 13 miles up the river, up the Chippewa River. And uh, we'll establish the Spring Brewery. And it was there, along with his boyhood friend from Sauk City, a guy by the name of John Miller, 
that Jacob and John established the Spring Brewery in 1867. And how many generations back is that from you? So that's the fifth generation. I'm the fifth generation. You're the fifth generation. Yeah, so my great-great-grandfather, Jacob. And all along, there's always been a line and Kugel involved in the process all the way up. Yeah, yeah, there has. And uh, it's quite a story because um, upon Jacob's death in 1899, uh, he had bought out his business partner, John. He had already built his brew house. He had expanded production. Um, And uh, Jacob had set up the brewery to, you know, as a family business. Uh, His son, Matthias, was involved uh, his daughters, uh, Susan and Rose, and their husbands were also involved in the business. Uh, he had had a son, William, who was involved in the business, but William died when he was only 27 years old. And that was that second generation upon Jacob's death in 1899 that took the brewery up until 1919. We all know what happened then. Right. Yeah. How, how did the family get through Prohibition? So during Prohibition, we... Um, we decided to stay in business. Of course, we closed the brewing operations down, but we built a. We used our bottle shop to produce sodas. Okay. So, um, and also a near beer, a, a malt tonic, if right. you will. And and a lot of different breweries did malt tonics. Most were not successful, um, but the the mixers and the soda pop were. I was doing some research for a book that we published a couple of years ago at our 150th anniversary, and I saw these advertisements for sparkling kissed sour, and uh, it said, mixes well with anything. (laughs) So my guess is people were doing their bathtub gin, but they wasn't very good, so they needed something to mix it with. And uh, that was a successful product. So we we stayed in business. Matt Leiningkugel, my great-grandfather, passed away in 1926. Uh, Susan, um, so Jacob's daughter, uh, took over the business as president. Uh, Her husband, or uh, her son, uh, Ray, and Rose Casper's um, uh, son, uh, took over the business in 1933. So... The next generation, uh, upon Prohibition's end, uh, got the brewing up and operating up and operating again. My grandfather, Jacob Matthias, uh, another you can see the lineage right, of right, the names, right. uh, was a lawyer. So he he was raising his family, his two boys, my dad and uh, my uncle Jim, out in Washington D.C. But he came back to do all the legal paperwork to get the brewery up and operating again in 1933. So it was that third generation then that that uh, took over the brewery. Uh, so the Casper family, the Meyer family, and the Leiningkugel family, those three families uh, took the brewery then up through um, uh, when in 1987 we got a letter from Miller Brewing Company. And uh, my dad loves to tell this story, uh, loved to tell this story about reading this letter. And uh, it was a lot of legalese and, um, you know, written by a lawyer and probably a marketing guy. And they were proposing a joint operating agreement or joint operating venture, a joint marketing venture. And my dad takes this letter to Bill Casper. Now, Bill was a grandson of Jacob Leinenkugel, a grandson of the founder. Uh, his uh, mother was was Jacob's daughter, 
And um, Bill Casper, our chairman of the board at the time, reads this letter. He goes, Bill, what do you think Miller wants? And my dad goes, I think they want us to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the other way around. But so in 1987, we, we do a deal with Miller Brewing Company. But, uh, you know, it was at a time when uh, the fourth generation was all in their 60s. Like many family businesses, they had not agreed upon a succession plan for the fifth generation. My brother Jake had come back to the business from being in the Marines in 1982. I had just joined the company in 1987. I was a sales rep in Chicago. Uh, there were a few other of uh, the fifth generation involved in the business, but uh, only on the production side. And we had not, as a family, agreed on a succession plan. So when Miller came to us with the idea of a, uh, of a buyout, uh, this was a way for that fourth generation to say, okay, uh, here's how we can ensure the longevity of lining kugels of the brand, and importantly, uh, to keep the business in Chippewa Falls, keep our employees here, keep our brewmasters here, and to keep the family involved. That was always Miller's intent. And uh, here we are today, uh, you know, 32 years later with the fifth generation of the family at the helm and the sixth generation of the family coming into the business. I think that's really remarkable. And, I, and here's why. I mean, we all know about the disaster that happened at Latrobe, Pennsylvania with Rolling Rock, an, a, a venerable brand for many, many years. And then and people in that town, it was like one of the leading businesses. And then overnight it's gone. The fact that you guys were able to work out an agreement with Miller to be able to maintain your brewery here, not just as just, uh, this isn't Disneyland, right? This isn't like the Epcot Center. This isn't like like in, uh, like in Ireland, like the old Jameson distillery. They're not making any whiskey there. You guys are actually still making beer here in Chippewa Falls. You're employing people here in this community and you're you are still involved. The family is still involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the brewery here. I think I think it really says a lot about you know your commitment to uh, to this community and to the people that live here. Yeah, it it was you know it, it wasn't anything that was contractual, but I can tell you that it was part of how we built the brand. And I think the uh, the family and the family involvement in the in the brewery and in Lining Kugel the brand is what you know one of the key reasons to believe in this beer. And uh, the fact uh, that we have this Liney Lodge, our gift shop, our hospitality center on the grounds of the brewery where we make our beers and we have people that make a, a pilgrimage to come and see us. Right. Uh, if you were here Saturday, you would have had 600 people in the in and around the Liney Lodge sampling our beers, taking tours, buying merchandise, and uh, kind of coming to Mecca uh, to see where their favorite beer is made. Let's talk about your beer. In 86, when the merger occurred. 87, 87 is when they came to us. And, what yeah. what were you just making at that time, just the line and Kugel? Well, it was it was called our main beer. 95% of our volume was lining Kugels. Mm -hmm. So it was just called lining Kugels. People right. would call it Lineys, but Lineys. we did have a light beer. Okay. Lineys Light was sold mostly in the Chippewa Valley. Okay. Um, but my dad came out with light very 
soon after Miller Lite started to come into our market. And I think my dad was astute in his observation at the time. So this is the mid-70s, 76, 77. Miller really started to get big in 75 with Miller Lite. And what he noticed was that a lot of his beer drinkers, and this wasn't a diet beer, you know, or a locale beer. Right. Miller was marketing it as great taste, less filling. Right. So they were marketing it to guys that loved beer with the Miller Lite All-Stars, and these were guys that oh, were drinking a lot of beer. <laughs> it was, that was a great campaign. I mean, so, yeah, yeah it, made, but, it made it okay to drink light beer. Yeah, exactly you know? right. And a lot of his people, his drinkers from Liney's Original, said, Bill, I love beer. I want to drink more of it. Right. <laughs> and uh, so Dad said, okay, let's do a lower calorie and a lower alcohol beer, 4.2%, instead of a regular 5%. Um, beer. So we came out with Liney's Light. In the spring we always did a Bach beer. Like most Germans, Bach was a traditional beer in the spring. It was brewed in the winter, consumed during the six weeks of Lent. So we always had that Bach beer. In fact, since 1888 our great-great-grandfather had made a Bach and we continued with that tradition. And then in 1986, we came out with kind of our first specialty beer. They weren't called craft beers at that time. They were no. called specialty right. or micro-brewed beers, micro-brewed style beers. And we came out with a beer called Lining Kugels Limited, which was a higher malt, um, had a lot more hop character to it, and it was just available for a short amount of time in the fall. So that beer today is our Lining Kugel's Northwoods Lager. That's a, same recipe. That's a great lager. Yeah, fabulous I, beer. I, I, I don't think I'd ever had that before. I bought I bought a half of a six of that. I love how you got it. You can mix and match. If if yeah. you come here to the Liney Lodge, you can like you can get a bottle of one of everything if you want. You know, yeah. and I got. I yeah. got three bottles of that. It's a really, really good yeah. beer. The Northwoods Lager, I yeah. think, is one of our one of our terrific beers. Right. Uh, we just expanded uh, distribution up into Minnesota, the Dakotas, uh, into uh, Nebraska and Iowa as well. We're we're sorry we're not down in Missouri yet, but uh, you can find Northwoods Lager in those states besides Wisconsin. I'll take a case home with me. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure we we get to, we get some to take back home. My favorite beer that you have is. The creamy dark, mm -hmm. which uh, I think is just one of the best black lagers that's mm -hmm. made in America. It's so good. It, it's it's um, a lot of times darker beers. Um, they'll be they'll be uh, a little cloy, uh -huh. clingy. This is the, it finishes dry. It's got lots of malt flavor up front. Got caramel, but not overbearing. Yeah, and and. I it, it's satisfying on flavor, but it's refreshing on finish. I think it's just a really sure. good beer. You know, it's really fun about Lining Kugel's Creamy Dark. We use that in our Lining Kugel's Berry Vice as kind of the dessert beers when we do uh, beer dinners, and it's always fun to um, primarily go to uh, women that don't like the taste of beer or that are put off by dark beers. Oh, dark beer must be heavy, must be. Like you said, cloying, it might, must be, um, uh, you know, un, almost undrinkable. But you tell them that, no, this beer, I mean, smell it and the aroma 
of the uh, the chocolate malt doesn't that remind you of coffee right and then they go oh yeah it sure does and then what we love to do is uh, do a half and half with our berry vice so we call that the black bear and it's one of our most popular mixes here at the Liney Lodge bar so it's half berry vice half creamy dark it's called a black bear mm. and that just accentuates a chocolate dessert uh, or it contrasts really nicely a berry dessert. So uh, those are two great beers for dessert, and uh, Creamy Dark, as you said, one of our best beers. It's our most award-winning beer. Yes. Great American Beer Festival and the World Beer Cups won more medals than any other beer. It, it's uh, it's really good, and I've, I've enjoyed that beer for a long time. At the pub in Jeff- Jefferson City during the summertime, of course, Summer Shandy, is just I mean people are waiting for it to come out every year and it's it's a big hit it's you know it's light it's refreshing uh it's it's summertime I mean and that's that's the ad campaign as well sure and uh, it's a great summertime beer but not too far around the corner right now we're we're talking here it's the end of July not too far around the corner we've got another one of your great beers is your Ock Oktoberfest. Yes, it's in the uh, fermentation tanks and storage tanks as we speak. In fact, we've already bottled and shipped some. Uh, We'll be releasing the draft here within the next uh, three weeks. It seems like Oktoberfest keeps moving up each and every year. (laughs) It's It's a short season, though. It's it's really end of August through uh, October. Right. Uh, But that Martzen style is uh, one of my favorite styles. And of course, we culminate here in Chippewa Falls with the, the city celebration of Oktoberfest. Uh, it's getting bigger and better every year. It's generally the third weekend. I think this weekend it falls to the fourth weekend in September. Uh, actually, it's still the third, but it's uh, September 20th here in Chippewa Falls. We have a great celebration. Uh, so you'll see a lot of people wearing uh, lederhosen and dirndls uh, during that weekend. Is, is our German immigrants, uh, were they like the largest uh, group that came into this area? Yeah, a lot of Germans, uh, a lot of Scandinavians, or Norwegians, okay. Swedes as well. Typ- uh, some French, list. some Irish, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Germans uh, primarily uh, in this area. Okay. Three, three Catholic churches, lots of Lutheran churches as right, well. Right, right. <laughs> in a, t- in a town of Scandin- 13,000. Ger- Germanic, Scandinavian, <laughs> yep, yep. A couple of things I wanted to ask you because I think that you have a very unique perspective on this over a lot of other brewers. You've, you, your generations of family, five generations have been involved in this. The, the industry has changed so much. Of course, you've had to adapt over these years. You've survived within Molson Coors. You've maintained quality of product and identity. You preserve tradition. What do you think is the secret to you guys being as successful as you have been to, to maintain that quality, identity, and preservation of tradition? I think, you know, first and foremost, it starts with the beer. And you have to have a great quality product, and that quality product is made by people. So we've always invested and ensured that we've had terrific brewmasters on our staff and on our team. 
We continue to invest in quality in terms of our labs, our sensory, um, and just ensuring that at every stage of the brewing process, uh, we're doing everything we can to maintain the quality of our product. So I think first and foremost, it starts with the people. Um, I think secondly, then it um, you have to you have to give a lot of credit to our distributors and retailers. So establishing close relationships with those that sell your beer. So uh, um, the Fechtel family in Jefferson City is a great example of that. Uh, Bernie and his son have visited the brewery here in Chippewa Falls and very early on in the 90s I, were meeting, I remember meeting Bernie and him taking the time to come here to Chippewa Falls to learn about our beer and and for us to be able to host him here and establish a bond and a relationship because that second tier is is really critical to your success at retail and delivering Absolutely. your product. And then, of course, um, I think uh, being involved in the business as we have been through many years as a family and my brother Jake before me ran the company for 25 years and uh, it's rare that you'll find us here. I mean, typically we're out in the market. So getting out in the market and, and meeting retail customers and uh, uh, meeting people and having a beer and signing canoe paddles and having that personal one-on-one, -on -one, while it's not always scalable, uh, it goes a long ways in terms of uh, preserving your identity in this business today. So I, I give the credit to um, uh, you know, those that came before me and hopefully uh, those that will continue after me as family members will continue to uh, live up to that heritage. Is the sixth generation involved? Already yeah, the there, there are. There are. Uh, so uh, I'll start with the most recent member, my daughter Katie. Uh, she okay. left uh, education, a career in education in Texas. Uh, she was a grade school principal and she said, Dad, I'm going to go get my MBA. She went to UT, got her MBA, came into the business in marketing, just uh, this past year. So uh, Katie is currently living in Milwaukee and works with our team in Chicago. Uh, I have a uh, nephew, Tony, uh, who is my sister's oldest or second youngest or her youngest boy, uh, Tony Buer. Uh, Tony's in marketing currently with Miller Coors in Atlanta, but learning the business and, and working in a, in a big market uh, and learning along with uh, uh, the Miller Coors folks down there. I have a, a niece, Ellie, Jake's uh, youngest daughter, uh, who is selling beer for us in the Phoenix market. And then two of Jake's boys work here in Chippewa Falls. So uh, Matt is our safety and special projects manager at the brewery. And then his younger brother, Kirk, is uh, brewing and in the next half a year or so is going to be going to brewing school to nice. become a brewmaster. Where, where will he be going? Well, I told him he should go to Wein Heinstefen in German. Right. I don't know if we're going to pay for that. <laughs> but uh, he's looking at a lot, a number of different options right now. That's but um, I got to tell uh, He hasn't picked out a brewing school yet. That's, the company's in good hands. Yeah. I got to tell this story. And I want to say I want to tell this story while you're here. The reason, the only reason that that Mr. Line and Kugel Dick and I are sitting here right now is because he saw the RV 
yesterday afternoon. I we just popped in here. Uh, we just popped in here on our way north to Ontario, going walleye fishing. I just dropped off a card at the front desk here at Liney Lodge. Said, uh, you know, we're a retailer in Jefferson City. I just picked up a couple of six packs. Was headed out the door, and heard this voice said, "Are who's are you guys from Jefferson City?" And I turned around, and it's this this man who I'd never seen before. I said, "Yeah, he goes, I'm Dick Leinenkugel. I heard you were looking for me." Yeah. And he said, "I saw your RV, and he came. You came and you chased us down." Well, and I saw your RV because it's the perfect size. Uh, my wife and I, when I retire, have been talking about buying a similar size yeah. RV. And, you know, seeing all the places we haven't seen yet in the great United States. When you get ready to do that, let's talk. And I will tell you all the mistakes. I'll tell you all the mistakes <laughs> that I made so you don't have to make them. <laughs> RV owners all have the same story as I have been speaking with them. So um, I, I'm finding out that it's a great community of people that are we into it. this. We so, love it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something that we... We thought we'd take a year yeah. and, you know, go see the national parks. And yep. uh, I, I don't think I'm going to go visit uh, craft breweries like you are, uh, or well, at I'm least make that my mission. I'm, I'm trying to. But it, I'll, I'll hit yeah. a few, no right. doubt. I'll hit a few. Before we leave, before we get out of here, could I get one of those autographed uh, paddles for the pub in Jefferson you City? You absolutely And can a photograph with you. Yes. And we'll put that right up there on the wall. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to tell well, the listeners? Well, and at the other gift I'm going to give you yeah. uh, as you leave here the at the Liney Lodge is the commemorative book on the Liney Kugel family. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, we, we put it with the library. We yeah. have a library at the Oh, you pub. do? Yeah. yeah. Well, we did this for our 150th anniversary. The book is timeless, but it, it really takes you back to the early days of Matthias Jacob Liney Kugel, Jacob's right. uh, dad, and then takes you through... Uh, the various years uh, of what we were doing here at the Liney Kugel Brewing Company and and uh, all the different beers that we were making. And I think one of my favorite sections in there is my dad took photographs of his customers, his retail customers, and kept a book. So this was in the days prior to, you know, uh, uh, the CRM programs, the Customer Relation Management Program. He had his own. But he had a notebook of uh, wives' names, dogs' names, kids' names, uh, you know, favorite baseball team, and then the photo of the retailer in there. And some of those great photos of uh, retailers are in that book. So uh, it's, a, it's a great um, piece that uh, I hope your listeners, if they want to learn more about the Lining Kugel Brewing Company, go online, liney.com. Of course, we have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can follow us on all of those, but uh, more importantly, Come up here to Chippewa Falls and it's, see us at the Liney Lodge. It's a great visitor center. Bernie Fechtel said you were a gentleman. I want to thank you for taking time today. Marilee right, and I will be I'll, back next summer with our friends. That would be great. Come, that would uh, be great. We're, when we're going to come to Chippewa And Falls. I'd love to stop in Jefferson City and have one of Patty Malone's. Please do. Let us so know I'll find summer shandy in the summer. I'll have Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest. Now, what am I going to have this winter? Well, I can't remember what the winter... Don't you have a winter We have a snowdrift vanilla snow porter. That's okay. it. That's right. a vanilla Great. porter. Right. Yeah, yeah. So here's here's my ask of you, because I am a salesman at heart. Okay. We have a beer called Canoe Paddle Kolsch. Yeah, I love the Kolsch. Which is going to stay out year-round now, oh. not just for the summer. Okay. So I need you to go back to Mr. Fechtel and say, hey, 
you bring in some of those six barrels of canoe paddle colch because I want to put it on draft at uh, Patty Malone's. I will. You, you just told him right there. You just told him. All right. Thanks again. All right. Dick, Line, and Kugel. It's been a great pleasure. And uh, so, hey, let's go get a beer. All right. Hey, uh, well, first of all, I've got to do this. Hold on. Okay. You're sticking with me now, right? <laughs> okay. All right. You're sticking with me. Uh huh. All right. You can edit some of this to remove some sure. time if you have sure. to. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's how you end. What? Well, that, that's my last episode. Yeah. Right. It's game of storm. I know it. I just want you to leave with that. That I'm in tune <laughs> with your podcast. Oh. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Dick. <laughs> I love Gaelic Star. Well, they're coming to Jefferson City August 29th. We're between, uh, we're, uh, first thing I want to say is, you know, talking to Dick Line and Kugel, you meet, there's a man that's just absolutely passionate about his business. He's passionate about his, uh, family, his community. And this was just one of the most enjoyable conversations that I had, uh, in doing, uh, what I've been doing for the last year. Uh, on the Brewers Traveler. You know, craft brewers and brewers in general, they just tend to be very passionate about their business. But, you know, uh, Dick grew up in this. Uh, His family's been doing it for now going on six generations. And, you know, to, to see that a family member is still there every day, you know, uh, in charge, making sure that everything's being done right and that they kept that brewery going when a lot of other, you know, uh, regional breweries like that have shut down and gone away and taken those jobs with them. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's something to be said for Dick and uh, his brother Jacob and all the rest of the Line and Kugel family for doing what they're doing there in Chippewa Falls. Um, very passionate about their beer and everybody there at the Liney Lodge. Excellent folks. They're very accommodating. I highly recommend that you make it a point to try to get to Chippewa Falls and visit the Liney Lodge. Uh, I can assure you this, I will be getting back up there next year and it's going to become a regular stop on every one of my trips up north. That's just going to be something that I'm going to work into my travel plans. No doubt about it. The Liney Lodge is located at 124 East Elm Street in Chippewa Falls, right across the creek from the old Liney Kugel Brewery. But if you get to Chippewa Falls, just ask anybody where it is. There's only 13,000 people that live there, and they all know Dick Liney Kugel and where the brewery is. They'll point you in the right direction. From April 1st until December 31st, they're open seven days a week, Sunday, Wednesday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 10 to 8 p.m. From January 1st to March 31st, they're closed on Tuesdays, so don't go on Tuesdays in the winter. And they are closed on Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Day, and Easter, and they close a little early on Christmas Eve.
They offer tours every day, but if you really want a treat, on three Thursdays every month, they have special tours with a member of the Line and Kugel family. It'll either be Dick, John, or Matt, and maybe somebody else. There are always limited spots on these tours, so you'll need to call ahead and see what's available and which Thursday and what time those tours will be held. You can find that phone number and everything else you need to know over on their website. Be sure to tell them that you heard about it on The Bruce Traveler and Alan sent you. Check them out at www.liney, that's L-E-I-N-I-E dot com. Hey, ha, da 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 ya, ha, hey. Cardi on scale What's the rumpus? Now it's time for What's the Rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? Hello, Mr. Tony Rehagen, freelance journalist. How are you, Tony? Doing well, Alan. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, enjoying the summertime. It's, oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. It hasn't been too hot. No, not, not, not too crazy. We, yeah. I, we just got back from Des Moines where we spent uh, spent a week and, and kind of just chilled out a little bit up there. But it's it's it was, it was nice. I'm heading to Ontario. Going to go do a little walleye fishing. Nice. Going to try to hit a couple of breweries on the way up. Stop and see our friends in Duluth at Bent Paddle. Nice. So might see if they'll let us crash in the RV in the parking lot. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, why not? Hey, so yeah. you've been up to anything interesting? You've got any new travels coming up? Where you might be heading? Uh, actually, I've got a bunch of travels. Next uh, next week I'm off, then I'm going to uh, North Carolina uh, the week after next. Uh, over to uh, High Point, which is kind of in the middle part of the state. Right. Um, then I'm heading to Dallas for a, a, a conference uh, that following that weekend. And then Aaron and I are heading to Seattle and Portland, Oregon the weekend after that. So we're right. going to be all over the damn place. Oh, well, good. Hey, Look we still good beer. We still got to get to Michigan. I don't know when yes. we're going. I don't know when we're going to do. Want to be able to do it? I've just got two much going on i've got sure. this trip to ontario then we're going up to iowa for uh the iowa irish fest and see gaelic storm that's the first week in august and then uh, of course i've got them coming here the end of august i thought about sneaking a trip in there between the two but i've just got too much <laughs> going on in between sure and then uh, and then Lee and i in september we're going to try to go out west i'm not sure where yet and then I've got to go down to Georgia in October for my ne- uh, nephew's wedding. And then uh, November would be a little late to go to Michigan, don't you think? Yeah, it probably, probably wouldn't be optimal weather. Yeah. Maybe we figure something out. Yeah, well, maybe we'll wait till next year. We could go south in November. That's true. Or we could do a quicker a quicker trip somewhere, uh, yeah. Yeah. somewhere close by. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it later on. Anyway, what do you got for us this week? Well, speaking of traveling, uh, I've got a story that I, my mind wants to go to the beach, and so that's where that's where I'm going to go. Uh, just like I mean, this the whole this the whole show is about tr- not only going to different states and trying the beer there, but like anytime you see a beer uh, that's come from a new state, and it's been a, a lot of different launches. I know Surly's launching uh, in Missouri right about now. I think it actually might have might have done so already uh, from Minnesota. Uh, you know, Alaskan beer dropped here a few months ago, right? Uh, in Missouri, so that kind of made me think about you know Has the it- beer. Hasn't made it to mid Missouri yet, but oh, it's just in St. Louis. Yeah, well, it's we're, all over the place. we're always we're like the Siberia of Missouri. It always gets to St. Louis and Kansas City before it hits us. 
they don't know their market because they're just like yeah. beer drinkers. It could be worse. <laughs> we could be in the Ozarks. That's true. That's true. Why are we in Mississippi? <laughs> <laughs> but this is actually this is the state that barely beats Mississippi with its breweries. Uh, it got me thinking about about Hawaii, and I saw uh, there was a story in Vine Pair about this. Um, but basically, there's just one state that that's literally the outlier uh, of of the U.S. states and getting beer, and that's of course uh, our friends in Hawaii. Um, physically and culturally just different from every other state, but it's still, it still caught the, the craft beer buzz, uh, you know, because tourism is, is its lifeblood, like to the tune of 9 million people and $16 billion per year. Right. Um, and American tourists, they want indigenous beer. That's kind of the thing now. Um, Hawaii, as small as it is, it only has 20 craft breweries, which is good for 48th, still ahead of Mississippi. And I'll bet um, of those 20 breweries, I'll bet there are more than half of them are on Oahu. Probably, yeah, the Big Island, for sure, yeah. No, no, that's uh, not the Big no, Island. That's no, that's where Pearl Harbor that, is. That's right, that's right. That's, that's possible. I'm not exactly, exactly sure of the, of the divvy. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's got its beer, for sure. I mean, in overall state. But, uh, you know, for the rest of us, Hawaiian beer can be really hard to come by um, if you don't go. So, you know, we've seen, I think, you, probably, I don't know if you guys have it out there, but... Uh, Kona beer. Uh, oh yeah, I've heard of Kona. Yeah, it's it's all over St. Louis, and their cocoa coffee stout is is really solid. But Kona, uh, a lot of people don't know this. While it's based in uh, the that's the, Hawaii's Big Island, it's a uh, I'm going to butcher this. Kailua Kona. Kailua. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's good. It's it's owned by Craft Beer Alliance. Now, which, now Kona beer that would probably be from the Big Island because that's it where, is. that's where the Kona coffee's grown. Yeah. That's right. That it is from the Big Island, and, and it's it is still made there. But the the weird little uh, little addendum to this is that it's actually owned by the Craft Beer Alliance, of which AB InBev is a minority stakeholder. Right. And as a result, the actual Kona Brewery only makes the beer for the island, while all the bottles and cans you see here uh, are made on the continent here in the contiguous uh, U.S. states. The only Hawaii-made beer that you can find uh, in, the, in the, the rest of the states is Maui beer, which is available about 23 states, and it's Illinois and Indiana. I've seen it in Colorado. Um, just kind of, just they just kind of skip Missouri on that belt. Um, I'm not sure about Kansas. Um, and obviously, the reasons why are you know shipping costs is number one. Sure. Uh, in, in the U.S., you can take your beer pretty much anywhere as long as you got a truck. Uh, but shipping across the Pacific, you know, by air or boat is a little bit pricier. Um, definitely too much for any brewery starting out. Um, and, you know, in fact, they say that uh, many of the younger breweries have trouble making it between islands, like you were talking about. Like, you just can't, they have trouble just jumping to different islands in Hawaii. I, ab- I, w- I can see that, absolutely. I can see that yeah. for sure. Yeah. But but it's not the only reason. What's interesting too, there are a couple other little outlying reasons too. It's all residual. Uh, number number two reason is getting different ingredients. You know, like you can grow pineapple, taro, and mac nuts and sugarcane fine. Uh, and there's plenty of water in Hawaii, but there's no there's not a lot of barley or hops. You no. know, in that tropical climate, so you've got to import those things. So you got to pay the money to get the stuff over there and then ship the beer back. And by the time you get that, I mean that's five or right. six times what it costs to, to, to brew beer on, you know, on the mainland. Uh, the other, the other big thing that people think about is space. You know, everything, every square inch of, of Hawaii is prime real estate, um, any inhabitable square inch. And so, you know, the square footage necessary to expand production to, and to store all this beer is so hugely inflated yeah. that, uh, you know, if you're going to scale up to a production level facility, I mean, good luck. You're going to need a boatload of capital yeah. to do that. You know, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, comparison similarities I should say a lot of similarities between Hawaii and Iceland if you yeah. think about it I mean island nation quite a bit of distance between it and the brewing uh, where you would get the raw materials and the markets yeah, they, yeah I can uh, yeah absolutely sure well, they, yeah, and they they don't have probably as much of the other ingredients either. They got to if you want to make. Oh any yeah, kind of Iceland. Iceland doesn't have. They don't have any. They don't grow any barley. I mean, it, they have to bring it all in. I was talking to a guy there um, when I when we were out there last year. Yeah, and hops. There's no way they could grow any hops there. They have to bring it all in, and then so you know, a twenty ounce bottle, a half liter bottle of beer, will uh, cost you the equivalent of almost twenty dollars. Whew. Yeah, yeah, it was expensive. expensive buzz. It was expensive yeah, to drink in to drink in Iceland. Anyway, back to Hawaii. Well, the weather's now, nicer, at least. That's true. That's true. <laughs> now, I mean, the, the the kind of the moral of the story is the best way to, to get Hawaii beer. I guess we'll just have to go in and hop around on the islands. So, yeah. Can we uh, can we convert Brulisius to an amphibious vehicle? Well, you know, I, you know, I, we could read Thor Heyerdahl's book Contiki and figure out something. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> get an Evan Rude. Get yeah. Put put it on a couple of pontoons and get a get an Evinrude and we could figure out something. Yeah, for sure. We've talked about that. You know, we have that map on the side of the RV that shows all the states that we've been to. Although Mary Lee won't let me put the sticker up for the states that I've been to by myself. It ha- I have to wait until she goes with me before I can put the sticker up. But you need a witness. Yeah, yeah. She has to go with me. I it's, I can't. I can't put it up there if I've just been by myself. Anyway, so there are, for Alaska and Hawaii, there are outlines, so we can put up those states as well. But uh, uh, we've already talked about it. We're going to fly there and then rent an RV. There you go. Yeah, unfortunately, Cody won't be able to make it with us, but that's just the way it goes. You know, unless... You can't have support animal? Uh, Everybody's doing it. (laughs) You you know, and I'm he not, actually does it. I'm not. Yeah, he is a support animal. He he keeps me from killing my killing <laughs> killing other people. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah. he keeps me from choking the <laughs> out of other people. Um. Yeah, anyway, so no, that's what we're gonna do with that. So Hawaii. I wonder. Yep. I um. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I'm sure you know we will do it at some point in time. I really want to. As far as Alaska goes, my grandfather, awesome. my grandfather, he built bridges on the uh, Trans uh, Alaskan Highway back after oh, World War II, and I've sure. always wanted to drive the the uh, Trans Alaskan Highway up uh, all the way up to Fairbanks, where because you know, I heard stories about it all the time I was growing up. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Uh, yeah, it would be fantastic. However, if you break down out there between somewhere up there in uh, northern British Columbia or the uh, or the Yukon Territory, you might be on the side of the road for a few days before somebody comes by. So, yeah. No, it's for sure. No, I was I went to a wedding up in Anchorage. I was at, the wedding was actually in Talkeetna. Um, and yeah, just even the distance between things down there, where it's, that's the populated part of the state. Right. I mean, it did, uh, you know, we, we grew up in rural America and that, holy cow, that's rural. Like, <laughs> the distances between places are insane. Yeah, it makes West Texas look overpopulated. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Rehagen, freelance journalist. Hey, keep on drinking, buddy.
Well, I'll do my best. I told right. my wife you ordered me to do so. Okay, man. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Take care, Alan. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Bruise Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or check out our blog on website, thebruisetraveler.com. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please follow us over on Facebook and Instagram at The Bruise Traveler Podcast. If you need to, send me a message over there with your questions, suggestions, or ideas. Or if you'd rather send me an email, cheers at thebruisetraveler.com. Please go over to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, a glowing review. It would mean so much. Soundtrack for The Bruise Traveler is so graciously provided by our friends Gaelic Storm. And, of course, two and a half weeks from now, at the Millbottom Event Center, Gaelic Storm in concert, August 29th. If you're coming to the show, let me know. I'd love to have a beer with you while you're here. If you'd like to know more about Gaelic Storm, check them out at their website, gaelicstorm.com. Marketing consultation provided by Mission Digital Marketing. So until next time, if I don't see you at the pub or at a tap room, I'll see you right here on the podcast. Drink locally, think globally, take care of each other, take care of the earth. It's everything we got. And merrily, as always, honey, you are the measure of my dreams. So thanks again, everybody, for listening, and so long for just a while. Let me tell you a little story about a man named Johnny Tarr. He was a hard-drinking son of a preacher, always at the bar. Larger from the tap, or shots of paddy from the shelf. He could open his throttle and throw back a bottle as quick as the devil himself. Johnny Tarr. Got around that Johnny Tar was no pretender. From Claire to here, they'd lock up the beer when Johnny went on a bender. Down at Dickie Max, the rising sun, or at the swan. He was drinking by seven, by ten to eleven, when all the booze would be gone. Johnny Tar. And even if you saw it yourself, you wouldn't believe it, but I wouldn't trust a person like me if I were you. Sure. I wasn't there, I swear I have an alibi. I heard it from a man who knows a He had money in his pocket, he had whiskey in his eye He said, get up off your asses and set up the glasses, I'm drinking this place dry Now all the serious boozers, they were soon broken hearted When Johnny finished off six, and he was only getting started Guzzling down the pints, and knocking him back like candy He was looking alright to be drinking all night, then Nora brought out the brandy Johnny Tarr and even if you saw it yourself, you wouldn't believe it But I wouldn't trust a person like me if I were you Sure I wasn't there, I swear I have an alibi I heard it from a man who knows a fellow who says it's true Here we go, Sheila! Oh. Drank the whole damn bottle, had another point or two When it made no impression he started a session with Murphy's Millennium Brew He was waiting for his point, when his face turned green Jesus, Johnny fell down after only fifteen and he 
you could have heard a pin drop and the crowd let out a roar. It took five cork women to lift Johnny off the floor. The doctor looked him over, said you better call the horse. But it's not what you're thinking, it wasn't the drinking. This man died of thirst, Johnny Tarr. And even if you saw me yourself, you wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't trust a person like me if I were you. Troy wasn't there. I am beginning to learn that it is the sweet, simple things of life which are the real ones after all. Laura Ingalls Wilder, author of Little House on the Prairie, born February 7, 1867, Pepin County, Wisconsin, died February 10, 1957, Mansfield, Missouri.